The BioWorld Insider Podcast. This is the BioWorld Insider Podcast, and I'm Lynn Yaffe. The rapid development of COVID-19 vaccines in many of the world's richest nations has brought global attention to the messenger RNA-based technology behind them, also known as mRNA. But another potentially transformative technology has advanced too. They're vaccines that use DNA to prime the immune system. Emergency use authorization for Zytus Cadilla's DNA-based COVID vaccine called Zycov-D made headlines recently in India. It was a global first that we shared with BioWorld readers in late August. Today, we'll take a closer look at this type of vaccine with our guest, Lucio Rovati. He's the CEO and Chief Scientific Officer at Rotafarm Biotech, which is headquartered in Italy. Just recently, his firm announced early results from a phase one study of COVID EVAX. It's the first DNA vaccine candidate against COVID-19 to enter clinical development in Europe. Rotafarm is developing it with Takis Biotech, another Italian firm. We're glad to welcome Lucio as our guest to talk about the early clinical results with BioWorld Managing Editor, Michael Fitzhugh. Over to you, Michael. Thanks, Lynn, and thanks for being with us today, Lucio. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Lynn, for the kind invitation. I'm really excited to talk to you about COVID EVAX and uh, DNA vaccines more broadly. But before we get there, could you tell us a bit about the backstory of how and why you founded Rotafarm Biotech? Sure, with pleasure. Well, the history of Rotafarm goes back to some uh, 60 years ago. The company was founded by my father, who was a physician and a pharmacologist as well. And um, uh, he left the university in order to found his own uh, private uh, drug discovery laboratory. Actually, he was uh, able to create a company out of that that became one of the largest pharmaceutical companies in Italy with a global presence throughout the world. And it was uh, probably the fourth or fifth uh, um, largest uh, pharmaceutical company in Italy. When in 2014, we decided to uh, merge the commercial activity into another larger company. And today, uh, our franchise is with the American company Mylan, and now Viatris, actually. And we retained for us only the R&D uh, activities, as this was the founding basis of the company. And the... R&D activities. Tell me a little bit about why you retained that piece and a little bit about your background, because I understood reading about it that why you would gravitate toward that. But tell, tell our listeners a little bit about that. Sure, with pleasure. Uh, I'm, I'm a physician as well and a clinical pharmacologist. So I've always been the uh, scientific uh, background of, of the company over the past 30 years and I directed the R&D activities and the medical activities and the medical marketing activities. So uh, I wanted to continue to do that. And uh, I was very happy not to deal any longer with the commercial activity, which may be, <laughs> for a scientist, sometimes it may be frustrating, as you may understand. So I was very happy to do that and concentrate 100% on research together with my, with my scientists. So we formed a, a great group. Actually, it was the group that promoted the scientific activity of Rotafarm uh, through time. 
And uh, we could now finally devote it only to R&D activities for new innovative medications. So that's the only thing that we want to do. And we do it according to a pure biotech model. That is, we, develop, we discover, we develop, we partner uh, our compounds or we get compounds from outside, try to develop them as much as possible, and then find partners in proper pharmaceutical companies that can eventually complete the development and bring them to market. Now, before COVID-19, you'd started lead programs at Rotterdam Biotech in, in areas where there is still tremendous need and um, you know, room for innovative products, osteoarthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, and, and even cancer. But in June 2020, just a month after Italians appeared from what was then the world's longest nationwide COVID-19 lockdown, you announced a collaboration with Rome-based Takis to uh, develop a DNA-based vaccine against SARS-CoV-2. The world was, you know, really at that point focused a lot on late-stage mRNA vaccines. Why? What drew you to this program with Takis? Well, th thank you very much for this question, Michael. Actually, as you can understand, I'm an entrepreneur, a physician, and a pharmacologist. So. Immediately in March 2020, I asked myself, what, what could I do? What could my company do with that? And could, what, what could my scientists do with that? So we looked around. We found this uh, potential partnership with Takis. Uh, they had this uh, tremendous technology of DNA vaccines. Uh, we knew that, of course, uh, Amer mRNA vaccines were uh, along the development as viral vector-based vaccines, but this was a different platform. So, so we wanted to see we, if this platform could add something to vaccines that were under development at that time, and on the other end, on which we didn't know much in April when we actually started the development together with Takis. So we started with enthusiasm, although we were never been involved in vaccine development but we we we, we believed we could do we could do something uh, with that and especially we had this new technology and we wanted to see how the technologies could compare and how one could be better than the other and in which aspects so immediately we started that and uh, we were I, I must say i'm very proud of my team because in six months which is a record time for us uh, probably others did better, but for us, it's a record time to arrive to phase one clinical trials, to the submission of the request for phase one clinical trials. And actually, we did a very good phase one, and we are now dealing with some uh, very good results. It is really remarkable. I mean, the, the speed at which all programs in this area have moved. I think that you know, there's, there seems to be a motivation, electricity running through the industry that's really driving driving people to excel. Um, Absolutely. This, this, this was great. As, as you said, it's probably the first time that pharmaceutical companies, independent scientists, academic uh, scientists, they work together. Data are, avail are available uh, on a, on a real-time basis and anybody can benefit from it. And that's why probably we had four vaccines approved in less than nine months and several others are coming 
And this is extremely important because we still do not know which one is the best platform, what is the best combination, what is the best antigen, what is the best way of administration. So it's great. It's great and it can benefit R&D in several other areas besides vaccines against the SARS-CoV-2. So in that sort of discovery mode and, you know, just going back to what you were saying earlier about how your your team had curiosity around which platform, you know, might offer what, tell us a little bit about how mRNA and DNA vaccines differ in, in their approach to building immunity. Well, the, the approach is pretty similar. These are uh, genetic vaccines, as including that, that include also the viral vector vaccines. So uh, the basis is, is pretty common. On the other end, DNA, as of course you know, is, is a genetic information which is on top of messenger RNA information. So we believed from the very beginning that there might have been differences and advantages in using DNA. Uh, for example, since it, the information stays on the top of the genetic information compared to RNA messenger RNA vaccines, we believe that it may give a longer duration of the immunological response because the production of the protein that we, of which we uh, um, administer the information is longer. And this is one of the potential advantage. Then um, uh, it does not relate to the platform, but it relates uh, exactly to our vaccine. We didn't use the full length spike protein as most of the vaccines available today. We used only the RBD segment of the spike protein, which is very conserved among variants. And actually, we have laboratory data showing that the immunological response induced by our vaccines in animals so far does not is, is not influenced by the variant. So the efficacy seems to be more or less the same independently of the variant. So there are potential advantages with the technology and potential advantages with our uh, approach as an antigen. And I understand that there may be some other differences too in terms of, uh, you mentioned administration obviously, but manufacture and, and transport. Can you tell me a little bit about, about those elements? This is a very important point, of course. Uh, manufacturing, first of all, because uh, manufacturing of DNA is fast and cheap definitely faster and cheaper than uh, messenger RNA, as long as they work, of course. Right. Transport <laughs> Transportation is also a, a key point. You know that uh, RNA vaccines are subject to the cold chain for transportation and storage, while DNA is a very stable molecule. You do not need a cold chain, so it can be uh, transported, it can be stored at room temperature, most likely, and this makes uh, uh, the life of everybody easier. There is a drawback, which is, as you correctly mentioned in your last part of your question, the administration. DNA is a bulky uh, molecule, uh, bulkier than uh, uh, RNA, and therefore in order to enter the cell, you have to do something. Either you have to use a, a complex formulation, as on the other end is the case for RNA, or you do something different. For example, we use electroporation. 
Electroporation is a, a very small uh, electrical field applied to the muscle when you administer intramuscularly the vaccine. The uh, electrical current opens up some pores in the uh, membrane of the muscle cells and the DNA can enter. So uh, it is very safe. So there is no problem from this point of view, but on the other end, it's a complication. So it's easier manufacturing, transporting and storing. It's a bit more complicated to administer DNA vaccines. And in the case of COVID-EVAX, you have, in Texas, I think, have a partnership with an electroporation technology provider. I, I, I can't recall the name. I'm sorry. Absolutely. It's another uh, Italian company. It's uh, called IGEA. It's uh, in the center of Italy. It's one of the most important uh, companies in Italy for developing uh, this kind of, of device, of medical device and, and other medical device as well. So it's, it's a great uh, Italian uh, collaboration, which is, which is not easy. And I believe uh, it's one of the most important things that we're doing right now. Why, why is it not easy to have a great Italian collaboration? Well, you know, uh, the world has, has, has become global. So whenever you have a collaboration with other companies, it's uh, usually a global collaboration. You collaborate either with an American company and then with a German company and perhaps with a French one uh, or with a Chinese one. So it's very difficult to find collaboration in the same countries, which, especially in the case of a pandemic, might stimulate the interest of the country itself, which is which is very good, I believe, in this period. Very interesting, very interesting. And um, so, so okay. So let's talk about COVID evax itself in this this trial. I mean, it's early days, obviously phase phase one. Tell me a little bit about the potential that you've seen shining through um, from from that phase one trial and how the efficacy appears so far. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, let, let me first of all say that as in any phase one study, the main objective was safety and safety was great, despite electroporation. So we confirmed the, uh, that electroporation may be a bit cumbersome, but it's a, it's a small complication, but it is very safe. So there are no problems from this point of view. Um, we, of course, uh, um, analyzed the immunological response, which was pretty good. And the surprising thing was that the cellular immunity that apparently we induced is better than the uh, humoral or antibody immunity. So this, this, this was a bit surprising because we expected more or less the same effect, the same efficacy on humoral antibody or cellular immunity. And actually we saw that the cellular immunity was really outstanding. So this opens uh, several perspectives in order to understand the efficacy on the disease. And actually, if you have a good cellular immunity and you can therefore attack cells, our cells, human cells that are eventually infected by the virus, you could probably stop the disease, avoid the disease and have a very good efficacy from this point of view. The other question is how these will uh, in some way go together, go along with the immunity induced by other vaccines, 
For example, when you do a third dose or a fourth dose after uh, an RNA vaccine, can the DNA vaccine with this huge cellular response improve or call back a different kind of immunity compared to the RNA and therefore obtain even longer, better, safer protection? This is the question that we have to answer right now. And I think that, you know, that leads to something that you, you talked a little bit about in the press release that maybe it would be difficult to carry out sort of a phase two study as it was originally planned, but that maybe there, if I'm recalling correctly, there was some opportunity to look at that sort of booster, that synergistic space. Can you, can you tell me more about what you're, what you're thinking about that element now? Yes, absolutely. Well, in Italy, for example, we have our phase two approved in Italy, but in Italy we have right now 80% of the population which is fully vaccinated and it will be probably 90% in the, in the next one or two months. So it's impossible to run clinical trials here. And it's virtually impossible to do it also in the rest of Europe where the situation is pretty similar. Perhaps uh, they are not at 80%, but we are over 60 and close to 70 or 75%. So uh, the, the same applies also to major countries in, uh, Eastern, in the Eastern world and in the US, of course. So if we want to develop a new vaccine, we have to look at something different. And actually what we should look at is a third dose or a farther, a farther dose from now on and see, as I was saying before, whether the different response that we observe can in some way potentiate the previous uh, administration of a different platform of vaccines. So this is, this is extremely important, I believe, and also it's important to confirm that such a heterologous uh, administration, vaccination, uh, induces a higher immunity. This has already been shown. Several people have been uh, vaccinated with the first dose of a viral vector vaccine, and then the second dose of a messenger RNA vaccine. And the immunity seems to be better when you combine these two platforms. So we believe that there is a chance that combining these third platform with DNA might further improve and differentiate the immunological response. So there is a huge potential. The second thing, of course, and probably should have, I should have mentioned it before, this huge cellular response opens up a lot of perspectives with other indications of DNA vaccine. A cellular response is probably the most important immunological response when you go against cell. And therefore, it is a tremendous weapon that we have to test against tumors in oncology indications. Does that suggest that, that oncology is an arena in which DNA vaccines are maybe more likely to stand on their own? I, I definitely think that. And actually, uh, there are DNA vaccines approved in animals in the veterinary space uh, for oncology indications. And I believe this should be pursued also in humans. You know, um, DNA vaccines have had problems in the past in that we knew that they were potent immunological uh, weapons, um, but it was difficult to translate 
from the animal to humans. Now with this first phase one data, we are showing that actually it can be translated to humans, perhaps not as good as with animals, but in a, a sufficient way. And therefore we should plan for this indication, but also for other indications. And oncology stands up as the, uh, as the favorite, I would say. Let me also add that, uh, well, a, a, as you cited in the very beginning, there is a DNA vaccine, which has been very recently uh, approved, which is the vaccine of Cydus uh, Kadila in India. And although this seems to be uh, less effective than uh, other vaccines, such as the RNA vaccines, I'm not sure that this is the case because Anything about 60% on the symptomatic disease is, is great. Well, if we had bet on that, on that uh, that would have been uh, great, of course. And second, uh, don't forget the DNA vaccine uh, was developed in India under the pressure of the Delta variant. So that 67% probably uh, cannot be compared directly with vaccines that have run their phase three uh, earlier than the Delta variant. And probably the efficacy is pretty close. That is really interesting context. I had not considered that in uh, thinking about that result. Thanks for bringing that up. So according to Clarivate's Cortellus, there are now more than 20 DNA vaccines for COVID-19 in development. How do you think that market might develop? And how do you think COVID uh, EVAX might ultimately fit into that? Well, first of all, you see, we have to understand, the scientific community has to understand which is the role of DNA vaccines compared to the other genetic vaccines. And I was mentioning some of the possible advantages and right. disadvantages. So we have to see which one is the best platform, which one is the best combination, and also which one is the best antigen, because these uh, 20 or so DNA vaccines are probably using different antigens, either the full length spike or the RBD or different combinations uh, of, of viral proteins. So the other thing is that not all DNA vaccines are administered in the same way. As I mentioned, we are uh, administering it with electroporation. Someone else, such as Zydus Cadilla, for example, they are employing needle-free injection, and we have to understand which are the differences. And someone else, again, is employing uh, complex formulations. So these 20 DNA vaccines are not at all all the same and all the same and we have to understand which one performs better and which one may combine better with other genetic vaccine as third dose or uh, further boost. Got it. And obviously as this program develops Rotafarm Biotech is developing other programs. You're working on other goals. Can you tell us a little bit about where, where you envision the company being in the year? Yes, absolutely. As you correctly mentioned at the beginning of this talk, uh, our traditional uh, field of discovery and research is not vaccine. We have been very active in the uh, rheumatological space, for example. And I, and I tell you, we have to find a drug, a treatment 
for osteoarthritis. This is something that we've been pursuing for the last decades. We developed some very interesting compounds. You may know that uh, Rotofam was the company that developed glucosamine sulfate for osteoarthritis, which is now a, a very uh, famous medication and OTC used everywhere. But it is not exactly what we want. We really want a treatment for osteoarthritis and we are dealing with the disease phenotypes and we believe we could be in the clinic soon with something for a different osteoarthritis phenotypes. Having said that, we've moved in recent years also to the oncology field. So we have a phase two program running in immune oncology. We have a phase one clinical trial in preparation with a small molecule in glioblastoma. We are widening our collaboration on advanced therapy in oncology, including especially cellular therapy. So I believe that we are in a very good uh, phase and in a very good mood. And in a year from now, uh, we should have very good results in order to progress the company. Excellent. Lucio, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. I really appreciate you joining us. It was my pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you, Lucho and Michael. Given the tsunami of issues around boosters related to the current mRNA vaccines, a new DNA vaccine that extends immunity might certainly offer a stronger option. As always, BioWorld will continue to keep you informed of all the most important scientific, clinical, and business updates in the field. So that's our show for today. If you need to track the development of drugs, turn to BioWorld.com, follow us on Twitter, or email us at newsdesk at BioWorld.com. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, don't forget to subscribe. Thank you for joining us. BioWorld, published by Clarivate, is a subscription-based news service. But all of our COVID-19 content, more than 5,000 articles and data entries since the start of the pandemic, are freely accessible.